Hello and welcome back to Two Bar Stools and a Knife, talking about the hospitality industry then, now, and in the future. From FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality and Tourism Management and the Bacardi Center of Excellence, I'm Professor Nathan Dodge, joined by my buddies and colleagues, one, two wonderful guys, Chef John Noble Massey and Professor Brian Connors. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Dodgy, Dodgy, what up, man? How much? What's How going on? You know, it feels... <laughs> This week has been a weird week. We had a, the vacation on Monday, which, you know, that kind of blended into pretty much every day for the past five months. So it wasn't that big of a change. Um, we're into September, so we're going to talk a little bit about spirits today, but mostly going to focus on food, I think. Um, pretty excited about today's guest. But before we get started, Brian, what's going on? Nathan. What's going on, Bacardi World? Bacardi World is going quite nicely, as uh, as usual. Uh, prior planning prevents piss poor performance, as they say. Uh, we have uh, our our colleagues and friends, the Chris Hopkins of the world. Those guys are back in the lab. We're putting together some new content, so we are getting some great requests for new content in Bacardi Teach. And uh, lo and behold, it is coming. Just all good things come to those who wait. So that's rocking and rolling. And of course, uh, our next Bacardi Talks is Coming up on October 8th with Drew Neopon, the legendary restaurateur, creator of Nobu, Tribeca Grill, Tribeca Film Festival. You know, with his friend Robert De Niro and the rest of those guys. So we're going to have legendary. Bobby, Bobby uh, yes. Did, uh, did you just say that Bobby De Niro is going to be on the uh, the podcast? Well, you know. You'll have to working, wait and see, folks. Yes, yeah, we're working on our little surprises that we have. But really looking forward to that conversation with Drew, uh, particularly just to kind of pick his brain a little bit of how he got to the position he is in today, as well as what's going on. Uh, kind of in the state of the restaurant industry because there's some definitely some challenging times and we're not out of the woods yet. So I'm looking forward to today's conversation. But of course, uh, we have some new exciting things coming up. We're going to be having our Bar 2021 Challenge going to be launched this spring. You're going to see some good promos coming up for that this fall. Uh, but you know, guys, to be honest with you, I'm really looking forward to someday getting back on campus, you know, someday getting back on campus, be able to see our new Bacardi classroom and all the great new things we got going on. But besides that, looking forward to today's guest. I want to get my uh, my culinary back on a little bit. Yes, you put on your chef's hat, uh, Brian and Nathan. We'll give you. We'll let you borrow my chef's coat for today, as we introduce our. Okay. Yeah, he, he has he has his own. I even saw him once. Kit, even has is that the one on. that says "Kiss the Cook"? Okay. I, you know, I. And there's an arrow. It's weird. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I am thrilled to. Uh, introduce our next guest. Uh, uh, Chef Bernardo Espino is a premier culinary talent in the South Florida area. Uh, we had worked together at the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale, ran the Chef's Pout restaurant together. Uh, at the same time, he's also worked for Ritz-Carlton, uh, Turnberry Isle, and most importantly, he is an, also an FIU alum. So wow. please Fingers. join Fingers. me in welcoming Fingers. Chef. And, and right now, right now, he is the one of the senior faculty down at the Miami Culinary Institute. So uh, please welcome my friend and colleague, Chef Bernardo Espin. Yay. All right. So, so how yeah, are you doing? Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited to join you guys tonight. And uh, I look forward to some interesting conversation. 
There you go. There you go. Well, you know, well, I if you're looking for interesting, you might have come to the wrong place. But yeah, no, come we'll on. see what we can do here. So I get to use the, uh, the start out these things there, Chef, and then uh, I get to wrap them up. But uh, in the meanwhile, we do have some really good questions coming from uh, my friends and colleagues. Because we're definitely, this is a topic that uh, we're all very passionate about, particularly at the Chapman School of Hospitality. Uh, we're incredibly passionate about our culinary and our culinary expertise, like John Noble Massey and the rest of them, and even yours truly occasionally teaches a culinary class. And I do enjoy it, John, but I do enjoy yes. teaching with you the most when I get to teach advanced. But a little busy lately. But with that being said, uh, so Chef, tell us a little bit. So how did you get into this uh, the crazy world from, you have two degrees from the chaplains from uh, FIU, uh, but how did you get into this, uh, the culinary side, and now uh, you're in the culinary education side? How did this journey begin? Um, so I... I'm Colombian born and I came to Miami to finish culinary school. I started at Johnson and Wales and then almost done. I decided that I that I wanted to work. So I postponed my graduation for uh, seven years. And then down the road, I completed my associates in uh, at the Art Institute, and then I just, I was ready to, to, you know, finish my bachelor's and my, and my master's. In the meantime, I was lucky. I stayed in Miami most of the time. Um, you know, I came here in 1994. Then 2001, obviously we know 9-11 happened. Tourism dropped. No, there were very few jobs available. Kind of similar to what's happening now but um of course this is you know this time around it's worldwide that time it was more uh within the u.s so you know i i had a job i lost a job here at that time and then i went to work in the caribbean i worked in curacao and there i opened a small leading uh hotel of the world and then I, there I opened three restaurants. It was like a brand new resort, great experience, um, which brings me to, sometimes students call me now like a graduate and they ask me like, what, where should they look for work? And I just shared with them that experience. Maybe the Caribbean is a good option, but you know, things are, things are starting to clear up a little bit. Anyway, down uh, after the Caribbean, I moved to New York and I worked there two years i wanted to get the the new york city work experience under my belt and i did that um and then i came back i worked at the ritz carlton i opened south beach um i did that for almost seven years and then i guess i was just ready for a change um at that time it was when i decided to to finish my master's and then because my master's just validated all my experience and then I was able to get a teaching job. Um, some schools, not all schools require a master's degree. Uh, the Art Institute did require one. So so I, I got one and uh, I, I, I did it at, at FIU. And ever since then, I have been working, I've been teaching. Uh, the Art Institute closed a couple of years back and then I went back into the industry. I worked at Turnberry, I worked at the One Hotel um, like in the capacity of chef de cuisine or executive sous chef. And then 
and then this job opened up in Miami Dade College in the Miami Culinary Institute, and uh, they had a full-time position, and I just, you know, knew it was a good opportunity, so I, I took it. And then this is where I am right now. Um, we, I teach any cooking class, really. Um, now, I'm sure we're going to talk more about it, but uh, we have we had a pretty good start uh, for the fall. We had like around 80 students, surprisingly. We thought it, w it was going to drop considerably, but, you know, we were fortunate to have enough students. Um, obviously, we take all the measures necessary. We we kind of uh, pushed for students to come back face to face. We did, you know, like when, when we went on lockdown, we did a, a remote, but then now we're back on on face to face. So that's uh, that's my story in a in a nutshell. And you get to work with our friend Jack Kane. So please give Jack Kane our best. Yeah, that's please correct. tell Jack we said hello. Will do. And uh, and you work with a lot of other uh, awesome colleagues over there as well. So yes, uh, you know, please uh, tell Chef Patrick and Monica also said hello. Well, but do. you're on the front lines. You're on the front lines, and and we're we're we've seen uh, a good bit of change. And then your experience out in the industry, I think, gives you the really the edge over over other chefs that may have been doing this all, all their lives, just teaching. And so when you think about things that we should be doing more or, or less of a chefs, whether out in the industry or, or chefs for uh, that, that you're teaching, what should, what should we be doing more of or, or less of? Uh, so I was going to, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So mm -hmm. for the, for the summer, I had my first face-to-face -face class coming back from, from COVID. Uh, I only had eight students. Now we have, you know, all around quite a good amount, 80. So the first question I asked them was, you know, what, what makes them think this is a good idea? Like, why did they embark in culinary, you know, knowing that COVID has put so many people, you know, without a job or you know struggling to find a job because it you know i thought it, it 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 was a good question to ask them like you know they're young some of them are young kids some people some of them are career changers you know and i what i came across was the same answers people are passionate about this industry they wanna they know this will eventually you know get better and uh and they want to own their own business, or they want to work their way up in a in a in a company. So basically, I got the same answers that I always get, which I was surprised. And I said, okay, but uh, will things change? You know, like what do we need to what do we need to think moving forward? And then and then they they are aware, like even not knowing anything about the industry, they know that things will change. I guess what I added to their answer is that ever since I started this industry, it has never stopped changing. Um, you know, like we've, it's gotten more refined, you know, now there's a lot of social media, but there's always something changing in our industry. Um, I think 
you know, so that's that's the the point of view of the of the students. We had we had a coffee shop, and then for the moment it's closed. But then we're thinking of we're thinking of bringing new equipment and changing the concept and having more or less like an internship class in the coffee shop. So then I uh, started doing some research and uh, and looking into equipment and into ideas that would fit you know, the times. So I came across great technology. I think what, you know, I, I'm going to ask you, gentlemen, mm -hmm. what do you think are factors that we need to keep in mind now that, or post-COVID? I think for me, one is uh, reduce overhead. So smaller, smaller size business. And then the next thing would be to reduce the amount of staff. So how can we pull that off? So technology, you know, I came across ovens, Alto Shamics, an oven with four decks. Each deck has different temperatures, different fan speeds. Uh, there's new refrigerators that you don't need to ice down your fish. You can almost, it's very precise. So you can set a, a drawer. The, all the drawers in this refrigerator have different temperatures. They can go from fridge to freezer. So there's a lot of new technology that can help you know the new the new entrepreneurs and the new chefs uh reduce the overhead which i you know which i thought was interesting like this is what we're gonna this is what we're gonna focus on in the in the coffee shop we're gonna teach them how to operate and how to how to come up with concepts of um fast casual um it's still That's great funny. quality Still good, great quality food. Uh, still, you know, like um, ten minute, probably less than ten minute ticket times. But um, you know, we're not gonna shortcut any any of the quality. Just still deliver quality, still deliver service. But then we're gonna we're gonna try to give them the tools so that they know how to set up a fast casual uh, establishment. So I I think that maybe the immediate thing that I see happening in the industry is more of that. Mm. Um, you know, where, where there's going to be uh, fast but well-prepared food. There's going to be takeout. There's going to be grab-and-go. There's going to be delivery. I mean, I'm sure you guys talked about this before, but that's how I see it. And, you know, we have all these downtown businesses around us that, you know, we can tap into and we can, we can have a pretty successful operation. Now, Bernardo, I'm the, uh, you know, I'm a bar stool and not really a knife. So my question, <laughs> um, you know, when I go to a restaurant, I'm more about the touch than about the tech. I, I'm going to restaurants now and they're like, oh, the, uh, if you use the QR code on the, uh, the thing in the middle of the table, you can see the menu and you can look at it there. You can even order your food there. And right now it, we have to, I hate right. it. I want to, I want the waitress or waiter to come over, server, excuse me, to come over. And I want to start talking to them about, you know, what's, what's fresh today when it comes to seafood, mm. what's on the specials. I like that high touch. So do you think that we're going to start losing that? I went to Japan two years ago and there is a server, but there's also uh, a tablet. So you order your food and then the server comes. They make sure you 
you don't have any questions or if you have any special needs, then they're there. So there, there is there is an engagement, uh, you know, factor there that somebody will come and they'll engage with you, eye contact, service. Um, but I think it's going to be a combination. I don't think it's going to be one or the other. I think it's going to be, I think right now people are thinking just QR code and, you know, no no interaction. But I, I think it's going to be a middle ground. Um, the minute solution. I have a robot deliver my food, I'm, I'm out. I don't, I'm not doing uh, that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Nathan, I had a guest. I had a guest speaker come into the restaurant management class today, and they had a quote that is right up your alley. They said, "A great server can make up for a lousy chef, but not the other way around. Sure, not the way other way around. Absolutely, I I agree, hundred percent. You know, a couple hundred years ago or so, I was doing consulting work for a brand called Wagamama, which was a UK." concept uh, and they had about 100 units we brought it to boston and then we were launching some other cities but i focus in on the boston units and this is interesting because it's exactly what chef bernardo was talking about also professor dodge that we had the, the guests and the servers still interacting but we were using at the time this is probably 15 years ago now or give or take a little maybe 12 years ago uh you know a palm pilot you know type technology i know i'm dating myself there mm. and then what the server had to do was write the numbers of the items and it was a, a noodle type concept uh, down on the menu. Uh, so the, the guest had that interaction. And the most interesting thing about that one was that the UK concept and the concept that worked in other countries, they would use these large picnic benches uh, that had this almost kind of like a group setting or group feel, like a gathering noodle spot. kind of thing? Very much so, but Americans uh, couldn't stand it because we don't want to be near each other. Thank you very much, right? <laughs> so what, what we wound up having to do was cut sections in the bench. They were fine with the long table, but by cutting sections in the bench and putting that little level of reenaction of them having actually letting the numbers down on the menu, and it worked pretty well because then the server knew where to drop things off. But it was real interesting because what we're seeing now is, Dodge, you nailed it pretty well there, is that how do we find that blend? And Chef Bernardo, you were saying it as well, of high tech and high touch. And where is it going to be where capacities drop down? You know, even Danny Myers quoted saying that if a restaurant's not at 80% capacity, it's not going to be profitable. That's a fact, you know, and again, the fast casual or fine casual business model could very much be the way we got to go in the near future because, you know, there's still always be a place for the special occasion restaurant, but that fine dining is going to be the largest hit where we're going to see the largest impact is uh, the people we have the opportunity to work with. But really, yeah. unemployment, you know, 10 million, 10 million people right now. Sorry to be a Debbie down yeah. there. Th- thanks for th- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we had uh, uh, Michelle Bernstein on, and she was really talking about our culinary students. And from her time in culinary school, going to Johnson & Wales, and really what we're seeing now in the culinary students. Um, some good, some bad. I was just curious what, what your point was about what do you see in the, in the culinary students today? Are you seeing good, bad, indifference? Do they want to be there? Is this something that they really want to make a career out of? There's always a there's always a mix. Um, some people want to validate their their experience, so um, like the older demographic, 
they've been in the industry for a while and then they want they want to move up you know this the the ladder and and they see a a degree as a as a good option for that so you know those people are going to be serious about it and they're going to be committed some young people are very committed too you know like they're very passionate and they just for some reason at a young age they identify themselves with you know the culinary field i i think it's it's a mix to be honest with you um and some and some people are not sure what they're getting into and then they they start and then maybe they realize maybe this is not exactly what they what they thought they 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 had in mind so um but i don't think it's changed so much you know like i've been teaching for a little bit over seven years and it's still the same it's still the same mix i'm not sure shabmati what do you think uh like what percentage will like make make it from the students that graduate culinary school well we we've been having this discussion and particularly since Johnson and Wales closed and we've seen all all the closures and what does the industry really need so that was our conversation with Michelle Bernstein and just trying to figure out what industry needs i think there's that and then also what students enjoy or what their career aspirations are and absolutely i think any of the students that you and i taught you ask them what they want to do they all want to open up their own restaurant mm-hmm. but is what we were teaching them whether it be there or anywhere else appropriate uh, i and, think that that's, and should, that's, that's a real yeah. question that's the that's mm-hmm. the real question you know like because you know the the people that are gonna go to school are gonna be the same they're gonna it's gonna be a percentage that that they know exactly what they want to do but i the question is whether uh you know culinary schools are outdated and yeah do they need to refocus i i think the answer is yes yes for yeah. sure amen to, amen to that brother amen they need that's to refocus a, and that's what we're thinking too. So we're trying to reimagine that internally, and 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 I think the base teaching skills are important, but everything else that you need to to do to run a restaurant, you know. But I agree, and and Bernardo and Chef Massey too. But think about it. You know what we all went through. You know at the culinary school, Bernardo. I'm a Johnson and Wales grad myself. Obviously, we know John Noble Massey went to his beloved Culinary Institute of American. Yeah, I don't hold that against either of you. It's okay, but. Um, and that's okay, but think about it, you know, and John, you and I have had this conversation before, and Bernardo, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can feel the same way. When we went to culinary school, it was very much like going to military. It was, you were up at this time, your uniform looked this way, you were clean shaven, you were on time, and this is how it was. And a mariquois, a mariquois, a mariquois, braises and a braise, sautés, sautés, it didn't deviate. There wasn't, I really want to put forth my expression of what a braising really should be. No, it was that this was a braising, this is how it's done, and that's it. I think the biggest challenge is, is that what we know today is, as culinary education is dead, uh, and I think what we all need to do as culinary and hospitality educators is create the new. I think, uh, not to take us off the, the rails here too, too quick here, but you know, no pun intended there, is that I think 
for all of us here is what does the new look like? We started talking about technology, but what does the new look like? Bernardo, I mean, what do you guys think? I agree with you with the, the fast casual model. That can only get you so far. What's the new going to look like? And this is a very much your opinion. It doesn't need to be what's going on at your institution or our institutions. What do you think? So I have, I do have an answer, but I also, after that, I'm going to, I have a question about hospitality that I had even since I graduated. So the new, the new, we've got, we've, we're going through that exercise right now of like refocusing. So the, the, the trend or what schools have been doing is offering, um, like we're going to offer culinary entrepreneurship. So there's going to be the basic cooking classes, the concepts, the, the, we, we call it here like food production one, like the, the, the skills class and the terminology class. Um, and then, and then, you know, give them tools so that they can run a business, so they can understand the what makes a business successful. Digital marketing, uh, maybe some sort of accounting, uh, all those elements that the the basic elements, like for the first few steps, so that they they can understand what it takes to run a business. Um, I think ICE. Is offering it. I think I know the CIA is offering it, um, and I think that that's now the new the new path. I think if you want to learn more about Indian cuisine, then maybe schools should offer master classes. Like here, go two weeks and like specialize in Indian cuisine. That's all you need, or or two months, whatever it takes. Uh, if you want to learn more about Chinese, then same thing, two months master class. But you have your degree and then you can specialize more in different types of cuisines. I think when you go through the culinary program, maybe it's too much information and very little is going to stay with you. Um, I feel like the business part these days is um, more relevant. Um, that's, I think, at least there should be an option. And that's how we see it here uh at at the at the at mci they can go the the regular path like they always did take all the cooking classes or they can take the path of culinary entrepreneurship which i don't know i, I we feel like we need to offer it you know i think so that's, that's really important we still i agree yeah well i was just gonna say i know that's important because um and brian has taught the entrepreneurship class at our school a couple times and i sat in a few and it just listening to all these students, I'm going to open a food truck. I'm going to open a food truck. I'm going to open a food truck. I'm going to put a food truck. What's all it take right. to open a food truck? Well, I buy a truck and I buy <laughs> food and I make food. And I sell food out of the truck. It's like, yeah, that's not exactly what works. So it is important to have those entrepreneurship classes that, that Brian teaches. And it sounds like what you guys are doing pretty awesome. Uh, like the, the CIA does it really well, externships. I was I was working at uh, Turnberry, and we had CIA students cycle through uh, the different outlets. I think that has to be something that has to happen. They need to see they need to see real life. You know, the kitchen life and restaurant life is different than 
culinary school, so they have to see it. They have to experience it. Then maybe like the way the way here we, we see it is we're going to offer one in-house and then they're going to have to do another one elsewhere. Like we'll, we'll pick a place and it'll be approved and they'll cycle, they'll rotate, and then we, we kind of train them so they're ready for that for that externship so those are those are i think that's how we're focusing it here but do we think that the work ethic if you will has shifted uh particularly in our new modern learners where technology is such a big part instant gratification is such a big part you know the days of, of traveling to europe to do your stage and then to work with michelin stars and you know you know, literally, I remember standing in the corner peeling potatoes for half the day to get a shot to work on, on the line, you know, and that's how it was, you know, in the early 90s, you know, in the culinary space. So I'm, I'm just thinking that, you know, we're all going to be in this journey together because of what we do and what our passion is. But at the same time, you know, the learner has to meet us halfway, you know, that they have to understand that, you know, this isn't just magic that these suddenly these potatoes are perfectly tornadoed or perfectly peeled or whatever it is that wind up on your table. It's not just magic. So I don't know, you know, it's, it's gonna be this great debate that we have going on. Let me change this real quick though, Bernard. You mentioned the importance of, you know, internships and I'm gonna, something John Massey and I are working on with the, uh, with the experiential or the, um, mm. we're going right back in time a little bit here. We're, we're going back to the days of the apprenticeship. Do you think there's value? And I'm gonna quote our friend and favorite, Michelle Bernstein, um, restaurant as apprenticeship program. Do you think there's value in that, Chef Bernard? Yeah, I mean, I, I, absolutely. I, I think, I think it's key, and I think, you know, if it's thought out correctly, it can even translate into, you know, like a cheaper or less expensive program for the student, which these days, you know. I think that that is a big factor in them deciding which school to pick. If they don't have to pay full tuition and they're going to go work elsewhere, I mean, why not, you know, why not uh, reduce their tuition? And Yeah, think about it, though. Why did some institutions that were roughly, let's call it $30,000 a year, suddenly decide to close their doors in South Florida? You know, because the value proposition is gone. You know, where yeah. you, you can't make a living wage to be able to pay your student loans, pay your rent, your mortgage, whatever else you have going on, and then still expect to work 50, 60 hours a week. Um, and I think we're going right back in our circle here. That's where we're identifying that the system's broken. You know, we have to look for a better or a new system to be able to, because hospitality is not going to die. Restaurants aren't yeah. going to die. They're not. Yeah, I um, John, I know I'm on my soapbox here, so get me off my soapbox, you know, John. I, I, get off your soapbox. So let's talk about something fun. I, you know, we we explored these two guys, uh, Brian and Nathan, are, are are big into dive bars, and I am right there with them. But we're also into dive food places and something that's mm -hmm. unique or something authentic that we may not have heard about that we would love to try. So. Any restaurant recommendations for uh, for us and for our listeners? Uh, oh my god! <laughs> um, I like Israeli food. Okay. Um, so by me, uh, I live near 
FIU, uh, the North Campus. So there's a little dive place called Jerusalem Delhi in a, in a gas station. And it's a Lebanese owner. And he, for me, he makes the best falafel and the best hummus I've had here in Miami. Uh, I really love that place. Mm. You know, Orrin Hertz mm. would love this. So we got to. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're, 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 we're sending notes to Orrin right now, our uh, colleague. What's a good Caribbean restaurant locally? You know, I've heard, but I don't know exactly where it might be. But I know that there are good Jamaicans, Jamaican places in, in Fort Lauderdale. But I have not come across something good. You know, there you go. That's a, that's, that's a good uh, business venture. Fast, casual, something done correctly, Bahamian or, you know, there's, I don't know. I don't think there's too much of it. So I wanted to bring up, because I know we talked about a few weeks ago that I was going to start doing the dive report and uh, we never got to it. But I was in Matt Lachey last week. Does anyone know, do you guys know where Matt Lachey is? I think I went to college with him. Ah, yeah, yeah, Matt Lachey. Yeah, no, he, it's, um, he was a captain of the football team, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah or lacrosse, either one. So, so Matt Lachey is a little, tiny, little um, fishing town right outside of Cape Coral and Fort Myers. We were over there for the weekend, and I huh. went to this dive bar called Burt's. And Burt's has been around <laughs> since, I think, the 40s. The, the, cab, the cabin it's in has been around since the 20s, and it kind of looks and has the smell of a place that has been like beer on the floor, crushed peanut shells. And this was the typical dive bar. This is the place. If you guys like a dive bar, this is awesome. This is just beer and wine, great food. There was a dock in the back and you looked at the menu. It's like, um, I don't know what I want. Maybe this. And then some guy walks in with a bucket and he's like, I got, I just caught yellowtail. You want that? I'm like, nice. what, what do you mean? You just caught it. It's flopping around in the bucket. We're going to put it on the fryer right now. If that's what you want. So that was my uh, my dive report. Check out Bird Bar and Cafe <laughs> in Mount wow, yeah, uh, A great new segment has yeah. been born. Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, say hi to Matt Lachey <laughs> and see how he's playing lacrosse these days. So uh, what do you think, boys? Should we get it going here? A little speed rail here for I get back on my, my culinary soapbox. Yeah, so I had a little bit of fun. So Bernardo, this is our, uh, I know you listen to the show religiously and to the, uh, the best of uh, greatest hits of the uh, compilation of the speed rail, but they are a lot of fun. And we really kind of take a look at our guests and figure out what, uh, what makes them tick. But at the same time, I love to encourage my, uh, my good friends and colleagues, Nathan, uh, Eugene Dodge. Yes, his middle name is Eugene. And of course, Nathan Excuse me, John Noble Massey. Oh, Noble. So, that, uh, too. that too. You know, so <laughs> one thing we all have in common, uh, all four of us today on this podcast, is that we are all or have been involved with the South Beach Food and Wine Festival. Correct? Mm, correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Yes. There we go. All right. Got, I got three corrects as well as myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, with that being said, our other uh, partners with the South Beach Food and Wine Festival is the Food Network uh, and, of course, the Cooking Channel. The Food Network and the Cooking Channel. Now, if you guys did not know, uh, this was not invented when John Noble Massey and I went to culinary school. It did not <laughs> exist. All right. That's right. Uh, it's true. Uh, Nathan, for those of you keeping score, and our beautiful and wonderful producer was not born yet, but the Food Network was launched on November 22nd, 1993. Uh, I was re- returning from Ireland doing my first stage to realize that now this mature 26 year old network. Uh, has got quite a seasoned, if you will, no pun intended there, or was it, 
uh, rack up here. So with that being said, with our connection that all of us have now with South Beach Food and Wine Festival, as well as the Food Network, uh, Chef Bernardo, let's have a little bit of fun. So some of these are going to be geared directly towards you. Some we're going to incorporate our good friends and colleagues here to get a little action going. So uh, Iron Chef, do we guys watch Iron Chef? Yes. Have. The okay. original? The original or whatever you want to call it. I'm giving you some original ones. All right, bonus question here before we ask Chef Bernardo his question. What Iron Chef has lost the most? Mario Hold that. No. No, no. No, right. Put a pin um, in that. We'll come back to it. Hold on, hold on. So, Chef Bernardo, so if you were going to be competing in Iron Chef on the Food Network, who's going to be your competitor? Who would you ideally want to go against? Chef Marimoto or Chef Kat Cora? Maybe Kat Cora. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. I've met Morimoto several times. He scares the hell out of me. So yeah. he's a nice guy. No, he he's a nice guy, yeah, but yeah. he doesn't speak a lot of English. It's kind no, no, of no, he terrifying. Doesn't. He doesn't at all. I met him 20 years ago, and he does the North Venue uh, for Burger Bash with Chef Massey and I, and he's a very nice man. And we appreciate mm -hmm. his support. Uh, Kat Cora, I've heard that she's a hell of a competitor. I haven't met her yet. Yeah, I've good. heard that too. Yeah. So let's go I to met. our second question. Go ahead, Johnny. What's that? No, I was going to say she was awesome at Best of the Best last year. So. Oh. oh. I remember she was hanging out with me. Oh, uh, and who doesn't want to hang out with you? And John, put a pin in that too, because we'll get right back to that one. So uh, Bernardo, Bernardo, here we go now. So number two, so one of the uh, top, top five currently most popular Food Network shows is Beat Bobby Flay. By the way, Bobby Flay is also the top loser in Iron Chef. But really? Bobby Flay, yeah, but Bobby Flay we like very much because he's a wonderful supporter of the South Beach Food and Wine Festival. But if you get past round one and then you're going against Bobby Flay, you get to choose your own dish. So, Bernardo, if you get to choose your own dish against Bobby Flay, what's going to be that signature dish that you know you can beat Bobby Flay with? Oh, my God. Um... <laughs> You know, I love Moroccan cuisine, so I'd say uh, lemon chicken tagine. Ooh, really? That sounds delicious. Okay. Makes me that think does. of which, which direction Bobby Flay would go in with that one. You know? That's a fun show to mm -hmm. watch for 30 minutes. So my next question, that's a good answer you had there, Chef Renard. My next one was right out of Guy Fieri's, but my boys already beat me to the punch of diners, drive-ins, and dives. Uh, so we're going to skip over Flavortown question and go directly to Chopped. Now... Chef Bernardo, if you are on Chop, the other top five hit TV series on the Food Network, and you have to go against two chefs, I'm going to give you two lovelies. John, stop drooling because you're not up yet. All right. Uh, again, two good friends. Rachel Ray uh, of her own fame, but also 30-minute meals, 40-minute travels. Or I got to admit, I do love her. I just saw her on a quick little Instagram talking about cocktails uh, with Dr. Biden coming up. Uh, the Barefoot Contessa Eider Gardner. Who are you going to go against and chop? Rachel Ray or the Barefoot Contessa? Rachel Ray. Oh, all right, boys. Who are you going up against? Well, Ina Garten was in charge of all nuclear policy under Clinton, so she is another person that scares the hell out of me. So I'll do Rachel Ray as well. <laughs> Rachel you know, Ray. You know, the person who, can, who knows how to drop the nuclear bomb, I'm not going to mess with her. I mean, I love Rachel Ray because of her continuous support. She hires our students. She's amazing. Yes. Uh, what she, what yes. she does for charities with her dog food. She's on Howard Stern, all that stuff. But I got to go to my soft spot here. You know, something about the Barefoot Contessa out in the Hamptons just making some really delightful, simple dishes makes me yeah. happy inside. No? Mm -hmm. 
right, we're on the home stretch here, guys. So uh, number five, John, you know, stop again. You can get your, your question going here. But number five, to Chef Bernardo first, you know, now if you were given your own Food Network show uh, and you're able to choose your own co-host, if you're able to choose your own co-host, who would that co-host be and what would the show be? No pressure on this one, Chef. John, you know it's coming to you next. I, I pick Guy Fieri. Okay. And then I, I do uh, uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives, but around like a travel a travel segment all over the world. There Little dive places all over the place. I like that one. All right, before we get yeah. to uh, John Noble Massey, uh, Nathan Eugene Dodge, what is going to be to be your co-host? And then, of course, what would that show be? Co-host and what would the show be? All right, so can I bring back an old show that they is no longer on anymore? Nathan, it's your world. We just right, have to my world. I think I'm going to bring back Grillin' and Chillin', but I don't want Bobby Flay. I want that redneck hillbilly, uh, Jack McDavid, as my, my co-host, just because I like where he... Okay. <laughs> he and that's, uh, that, that was a great story. Uh, that's just good stuff. Ba-da. So, all right, drum roll, please. Uh, ladies, please insert the drum roll here. Uh, Chef John Noble Massey uh, of CIA fame. What's going to be... Who's going to be your co-host, John? I'm real curious who this is going to be. You know, I, I, after a lot of thought, you know, and you gave me enough time to really think about it and, and analyze all of the p- potential co-hosts, you know, I would have to go for the one, the only Giada De Laurentiis. Oh! And as if you all didn't know, and and so Lee, if you're listening today, please make sure that she is our guest uh, come February. <laughs> and we would do a show and we'd call it like something like the Italian sweet and sur- uh, savory. Strangers in the night. Salate e dolce. He hasn't put any it. thought into this at that's, all. No, no, no that's so premeditated. That is awesome. storyboard on his wall or written out. I still think it's Chang that got me that poster, by the way. So I don't, uh, I'm not sure if it was one of you guys. I think it is the birthday boy, but uh, you never do know. Yes. I, would always, okay. I always wanted to have the mix between, and I'm, Chef Bernardo, I'm going with you in this one. A hybrid, a mix between, unfortunately, one is no longer in broadcasting and one is no longer alive, but Tony Bourdain and Matt Lauer. You know, oh. um, I, I just wanted to have this hybrid job that uh, I kind of do, though, so it's kind of interesting. I just don't get to travel. So, Bernardo, I'm with you on that one, is that I, I love the travel adventure and finding those little, yeah. uh, you know, those little secrets that you get out of nowhere uh, when you're traveling the world. So, uh, our last be real question, and I love pulling this one out for any time we have our culinary friends on. And, Chef Bernardo, this is going directly just to you, sir. And uh, we uh, borrowed this question from the CBS uh, morning show, uh, The Dish. Uh, and one of the last questions they ask, if you had the opportunity to cook, we do a little modification here, but if you had the opportunity to cook for anyone past and present, um, who would that individual be and why? I was asked this once before. Now I would like to cook with Paul Bocuse. Mm, okay. I- think that would be that would be a dream come true yeah. never met him met his son a couple of times never had the opportunity to meet him but I, I love when we pull out the classics because that goes right back to our beginning stories of, of kind of we always go back to that so, so that's my story and i'm sticking to it uh all good so nathan eugene dodge what we got cooking anything going on 
Not much. You know, schedule's almost done for spring, so that'll be posted soon for the students who do need to, you know, get back into college. Um, other than that, I got nothing else. Make sure you do follow us on uh, FIU, um, what's it, Two Bar Stools and a Knife on Facebook. I don't remember the name of our show anymore. Make sure that you check out the Bacardi Center of Excellence on Facebook. They are two different sites. Please drink responsibly. See that? Oh, I like yeah. it when you say that. Absolutely. John Noble, yes. Matthew, any closing thoughts? Uh, I am back on campus next week. So we have our, presumably, our first face-to-face for the advanced food production classes on Wednesday. So the following week, so that's the 16th of September, the following week, which is going to be the, uh, let's do that math real quick, let's be 23rd. Uh, we will be offering the lunch and dinner service. One week for- later, huh? Yeah, yeah, for folks that are on campus. Yeah, so if you're on campus, uh, the students in the class will be doing their own marketing for the lunch and dinner service. That's pretty cool. Excellent, excellent. Look forward to it as well. Maybe we'll have to make the venture down there, there, Nathan Dodge. And I think so. Chef John Noble Massey in his advanced class too. Chef Bernardo, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Uh, thank you for letting me get up on my soapbox. I do get a little passionate about things at times, so... Uh, I thank you for raising your eyebrows on that one, Nathan, as well. But it was a good time on that one. And, of course, if you need any information about the Bacardi Center of Excellence, feel free to reach out to me at bconnors at fiu.edu. And, again, thank you, guys, and be safe. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you.